This is Clutch Fans. The Rockets are going to Boston. How sweet it is! By the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. I'm ready to get on Clutch fans. Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Welcome into the podcast. We are here at Toyota Center after a very disappointing Game 2 for the Houston Rockets. They fall 116-108 to to the Utah Jazz, a game the Rockets needed, um, an important game to, to keep home court, um, but instead the series is tied at 1. I'm here with M.K. Bauer. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Moiskapenda. Uh, an absolutely great follow I've mentioned before. Uh, highly recommend, if you're not already following him, to do so. Uh, MK, thanks for doing this with me. I'm, I'm probably here as much for the therapy as I am for <laughs> <laughs> anything else. But uh, this was, um, I, you know, I, I think most, we talked about it in the last podcast, that we're going to see a different Jazz team. They're going to come out fired up. But, I mean, this was definitely that on, on steroids. I think the, the one thing that stands out to me about tonight's game in coordination with Game 1 is how well Utah has shot the ball through the course of the first two games of the series, both times over 50%. And given how the Rockets have played defense all season long, that's a bit of a surprise. I think we're obviously going to get into their poor shooting, the Rockets' poor shooting at some point as we discuss things here, but they've been able to mitigate that through the course of the season when they've had those random games where they didn't shoot well by always playing good defense. Well, if you're not going to play good defense, and if the other team is going to shoot 50% game after game, it's going to cause problems. And I thought tonight... To your point, with an extra day of rest, some better preparation, I think the, the, the Jazz had a, a nice amount of verve early on offensively to kind of get themselves going and build that 19-point lead. Uh, a lot of slip screens and opportunities at the rim for Gobert and Favors. Excellent three-point shooting primarily from Ingles, but also again from Crowder, which has been a surprise. These things kind of tend to happen as series kind of play out and teams make adjustments here and there. I will say this for the Rockets' favor. Um, falling down by 19, looking as fun as they did defensively. They led by five points in the third quarter. They led 94-92 with eight minutes and four seconds left in the game. All the things that went right for Utah in this game, and they were behind twice in the second half. So I would think that the Rockets won't shoot this poorly again multiple times in the course of the series. It may happen. Will they shoot this poorly again? Again, in coordination with that poor defense, that remains to be seen. But the one positive you can't take from this if you're a Houston fan is that despite all the things that went wrong defensively and offensively in the first half, the Rockets were leading this game with eight minutes left to play. Yeah, that, that is a positive considering the first half it looked like Terrible. This was, yeah, yeah. it looked like it was over. And you mentioned the slip screens. I think that was one big adjustment um, that they made. Uh, Luke Mbamute talked a little bit about it, that it kind of created confusion for the Rockets. They're so used to switching um, that they just busted those split screens and caught the Rockets off guard often. Favors, uh, more often than not, it was uh, Gobert, but just cutting to the basket and getting easy dunks. And, and, you know, they were 
they were incredible in the first half. The Jazz were. I think they uh, the numbers in the first half alone were 55.8% from the field, 50% from three to take that 64-55 lead. In fact, if Harden hadn't made that little run uh, just before the end of the half, I mean, this would have been easily a high double-digit lead for the Jazz going in. So, yeah, there was positive that when they came back in that third quarter. Um, and so I do look at it overall. I think um, the Rockets have done a good job on Donovan Mitchell. I think that's one thing. So, I, you know, how is that going to continue? Um, but I can't see the Jazz, maybe if the Rockets keep leaving them open, um, and, as they did in many instances tonight, but I can't see them shooting this well from three for the series. I mean, they were outstanding tonight. Joe Ingles going seven of nine. And four or five of those shots were of the wide-open variety. This is a guy who was 44% from three-point range from for the year. Uh, so I, I agree with you. I think things are going to even out. Rockets shot pretty poorly overall tonight. I believe it was uh, 10 of 37, 27% from the field. What throws me off is the is the difference in attempts. It was only five. I mean, the Rockets took 37 to their 32, um, and yet despite the Rockets took five more, the Jazz made five more. Three more three-point Three-pointers made tonight, the Rockets win this game. That's 35% from the field. I mean, they, they definitely shot. I wouldn't make it that simple that it's always going to be the shooting because you can always look at that and say if you made a few more shots, you win the game. But generally speaking, they're a 36% three-point shooting team. They shot pretty poorly tonight. I think tonight it was clear about the shooting. The Rockets were plus 12 in field goal attempts. They were plus 6 in game 1. Um, they were plus uh, 1 in rebounding. They had the rebounding advantage in game 1. These things tend to lead to victories. Um, clearly, it's about shooting, and tonight the shooting was poor, and the shooting was worth for Utah. I'll say this about, about Ingles. He finished fifth, as you noted, in three-point shooting. Seven for nine tonight, too many wide-open looks. Uh, he's too good of a shooter yeah. to give him wide-open looks. They have to be more contested. And, you know, as we were walking over here to kind of prepare for this this podcast, you were discussing one particular play in the second half down the stretch. So Utah had a 16-2 run after the Rockets took that lead where there was a miscommunication, and the one guy they left wide open was Ingles. That can't continue to happen through the course of the series. I said it in game one, and he proved me wrong again, and Jay Crowder is 8 for 13 shooting threes in the series. That's not going to continue. He's a 32% three-point shooter. He's been very, very good for behind arc thus far. Dante Exum is a terrible shooter. He was 2 for 3 down the stretch in the fourth quarter on wide open corner threes. The Rockets will take that because they know he's going to miss them more often than not. They can't leave Ingles wide open repeatedly, or it's going to burn them. And so your point about the Rockets only shooting five more three-pointers, well, Utah kept shooting because they felt pretty good, obviously. They had to a very good rhythm in the first half, and they maintained the rhythm through the second half. A team that's going to be reluctant to take a lot of shots from the perimeter volume shooting on threes, they're going to do it more often if they make a lot of them. And I think they got into a very good rhythm early on, and they felt some sort of compulsion to keep shooting them because they were going to go in. I think the ones by Exum were the ones that surprised me a little bit because he seems hesitant at times to take those shots. He took them when they were there in the second half and made two very big ones, and I thought those were key as well. Look, again, the Rockets got found a way to get themselves back into the lead, and then maybe they ran out of gas kind of fighting their way uphill, cutting into a 19-point lead and leading by two with eight minutes left. That 16-2 run by Utah seemed like it came out of nowhere. It really kind of blindsided me just watching the game because at that point it had kind of gone back and forth for a decent stretch of time, and then Utah just seized control of it right there with four consecutive made threes, two by Ingles, um, I think one by Exum in that stretch, and maybe one by Crowder if I'm not mistaken. That's where the game was won. Not the 19-point leader on, um, not the Rockets' poor shooting or poor defense. That 16-2 run late in the fourth quarter is what seized control of it for Utah. The Rockets have to find a way to better identify what Ingles is on the court, and they'll be better served defensively at that standpoint, and then take their chances with what's going to happen with Crowder and Exxon moving forward. 
Yeah, you've exactly mentioned Exum Crowder. I think is eight of thirteen from three point range mm-hmm. in the series. Uh, he had a, a big game or two from long range uh, against OKC, but he's really not a great three point shooter. No. I mean, just to stay, you know, he's he's a tough player, a strong defensive player, but uh, you usually don't see this uh, effective of, of a three point shooter out of him. Um, so that you know we, that may uh, regress to the mean a little bit as well. As far as other adjustments, talked about the slip screens, Exum, uh, you know, they were able to play him. I thought, I, when I looked at the box score, I was surprised to think he only played 18 minutes, if I'm not mistaken, a little less than 18 minutes. He played 15 in the first game. I thought we were going to see more of him. Maybe we will see more of him uh, in game three because his defense, I mean, he was staying in front of Harden. I mean, it, there was there was definitely some physical defense uh, allowed being played, but at the same time, he did a very good job today on James Harden. Um, and, and we're saying that despite Harden having 32 points and 11 assists. Exactly. But, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I'm not saying Harden was, was shut down today. He was 2 of 10 from three-point range. I, I mean, I'm not saying that's because of Exum's defense. Uh, you know, there were some other uh, factors as well involved there. But, um, you know, he's fast. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed watching him in person. Uh, you know, I don't know if he's going to be enough of an X factor for, for the Jazz to win this series, but I think he does change things up a little bit. And Alec Burks as well. I mean, Alec Burks didn't play hardly at all. Uh, for, for the the jazz down the stretch, and um, you know now he's suddenly becoming a key player for them just in the last uh, handful of games. So um, it's you know game three is going to be big. That's a very tough place to play. We saw it become a big factor in in uh, you know the OKC series, and obviously got a lot of uh, physical play, some skirmishes involved, and and some even kind of off the floor incidents. Um, so it's. That, you know, those Jazz fans are going to be ready to, to roll, and the Rockets are going to have to, you know, show that they're as good of a road team as they were in the regular season. And that's why you have to feel somewhat good about that. They've been a great road team all season. I don't think they're a team that really has any fright about going into somebody else's arena and playing well and winning a game. So to expand what you're saying, they have Rockets adjustments. They have to find a better way to deal with Burks off the dribble. In transition and off the dribble, he's given him fits so far in this series. It didn't seem like it was that big of a deal in game one because mostly in the second half. Tonight, he really got to the rim when he wanted to get to the rim, and that's a problem. Also, Exum. Uh, he's really, really impressive, and it's feeling almost like a Derrick Rose kind of situation where this guy's coming off the bench and doing great things for a team that you didn't anticipate. And I wonder how the Rockets attack him specifically because it looks pretty clear to me that the minutes he's going to be playing are the minutes hardness on the court, and they're going to assign him that responsibility, and not Royce O'Neal, and not Jay Crowder, and not Donovan Mitchell, it's going to lie with Exum as many opportunities as possible, because he's done a good job of using his length and his quickness and his speed to stay in front of Harden, and that's really surprising. It's weird. You know they believed a lot in him to draft him where they drafted him a few years ago. He's had some serious injury issues. He's really kind of finding his way right now in this, in this spotlight moment, and that's good for him. I, I'm curious to see what the Rockets do with that assignment moving forward because he's been a bit of a thorn in Harden's side. I think he had a couple um, per offensive fouls drawn on Harden tonight, if I'm not mistaken, and he's really kind of finding his way in terms of having an impact on the series. I'm going to be curious about that. To me, the biggest adjustment for the Rockets is you've got to get something out of their bench. Um, it was a negative in game one. It didn't seem to matter that much. It was a serious negative tonight. All those guys were in the minus side and plus minus, um, and it was it was a factor tonight specifically. Eric Gordon is five for twenty two shooting in the series. Um, Bamute and Green and Nene haven't really had that much of an impact positively. Look, if you spend all this time talking about the depth of this team, then you need to utilize that depth in key situations in the postseason, and it hasn't gone their way thus far in this series. Those guys have to be better. Harden has been great. Chris Paul's been okay. Capella's been great. I think, by and large, you need your bench players to kind of come in and do a little bit more to kind of offset what's been a very good performance by the Jazz bench in Exum, in Crowder, and in Burks. 
And, you know, you took um, kind of the point I was going to to sort of get at next away because I think you just nailed it uh, with the bench being a big issue right now for the Rockets. I'm very surprised Luke Mabamute, granted, he just came back from injury in game one but still hasn't had quite the impact that we've seen from him this year. Uh, it was a negative 10 in 16 minutes tonight. But... You know, I, I, I'm going to make some fanboy statements. You can smack me back down to earth, okay? Uh, I mean, I, personally, I know the fans out there love Gerald Green. I mean, and I love this guy as far as how he represents Houston and everything. You sit next to me during games, and I panic every time <laughs> yeah. they put him in there in any kind of game that's that's meaningful simply because I feel like this guy will take bad shots. Now, if he makes them great, we're all going, going gonzo. But I feel like when he's... Missing shots, you go to the other end, he's he's a concern, I think, for this team. I, I was a little bit surprised that uh, D'Antoni turned to him tonight, but, I mean, I think they felt he felt they needed an offensive spark. Didn't necessarily come from him. Uh, he was a quick negative 11 in, in his first six minutes. Came back to him for a few more minutes later on in the game. Am I overreacting and feeling like Gerald Green's a guy you just, unless you've got another injury moving forward, you, you really can't play him? I would agree with you if they were getting productivity from someone else. And right now, I can't blame D'Antoni for looking for an answer when Ryan Anderson is 0-3 in his series and giving you absolutely nothing on either end of the court, when Luke hasn't seemingly settled into his role thus far coming out of the injury, uh, when Nene hasn't really given you any sort of punch defensively or offensively off the bench. They need something. They, they need somebody to provide them some juice, and the one guy who provides them juice is Gerald Green, warts and all. If, if it means a few bad shots here and there, if it means running the guys defensively and drawing three quick fouls, he still gives you that, and right now he hasn't given them that. And the nature of the series is such that it only takes a little bit. It takes one game in Utah to get momentum back on their side, and if Gerald Green gives them that juice in game three, they'll be gladly, they'll be glad they give an opportunity to do so. So I understand your concern, and I and you and I talk about it a lot. He, he's a foul waiting to happen. He is a, a smaller version of Tarek Black where he gets in there and he just falls guys constantly. But he can make shots and he can make them in bunches, and they need that right now. Particularly if you're getting to a point now where it looks like Ryan Anderson's going to be a zero for the series. I, I'm not sensing yeah. any confidence from him in the shot. He had a couple wide open looks tonight. What just, is going on? And didn't come close to making them. And, and I think they have to find some sort of way to get that offensive punch off of the bench to kind of get things going. Particularly if Gordon's going to continue to struggle like he has most of the postseason. You know, we, we talked earlier in the year about Ryan Anderson and his sort of issue of just hesitating on the shot. Now he's a complete zero. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's 0 for 3 from the field in the series. I think he's, he's only taking three shots. Yeah, he, yeah, he's. I mean, yeah. It's not that he's missing uh, shots. He's not. He's not coming in and, and being that guy who can launch shots. I mean, he's just he's just not putting them up. You know, and and to me, um, I mean, this was a guy who earlier in the year was starting for the team, and they were still very good. Now, granted, they, when they put Tucker into the starting lineup, they took off. But you, should, you know, uh, to me, it's a shock that Anderson has fallen this far. I, I don't know if he's, uh, you know, sort of that Bradledge confidence guy. Needs to have, you know, needs to feel it. Maybe he's a little bit mentally out of it. I, I, that I don't know. I mean, I'd just be purely speculating. But it just feels like he's giving this team nothing, not getting the shots off at all. I don't know what the answer to that is. Uh, clearly, they have only so many guys off the bench who can shoot threes, and th- their reliance upon Aaron Gordon is primary to be that guy. He's and, if, and if he's not going to do it, it puts him in a bind and it gets him back to Joe Green. So let's see what happens Friday in, in, in Salt Lake City. Do you get more production out of Aaron Gordon? Can Gerald Green provide you that spark you've been looking for, despite the fact you don't want him in the game? Um, <laughs> and what do the Rockets do with Donovan Mitchell? That's a really interesting case study to me. Mitchell's shooting 34.9% in a series, but he has more assists 
two and a half plus assistant turnovers at the state, 16 to 7. Um, he has more assistant field goals at this point. So the Rockets have done a good job with him shooting the basketball defensively. They're not really siphoning him off in terms of playmaking. You can't allow him to get into the rim and find other guys open, particularly if you're not going to cover um, Joe Ingles in a corner wide open on threes. So at some point, they have to find that balance, strike that balance of defending him well to where he's not impacting the game with scoring, but also not letting him impact the game with his playmaking. All the advantage they've had coming into the series was that Ricky Rubio was not going to play, and therefore Utah's offense would bog down somewhat because they didn't have that primary playmaker. Mitchell's done a pretty good job playmaking right now. So how do you handle that? How do you keep him from? How do you keep him shooting poorly, but at the same time not have him disrupt your defense by getting into the lane and finding open shooters? That's going to be the one thing that stands out to me. The first thing we're going to be looking for in Game Three in terms of is that Trevor Reese's assignment. Is there going to be some help issues going on, and how they get him out of the lane and siphon off guys? Or are they going to help with Capello on Ariza and then have their guys stay at home on shooters in the corners and not leave those, those shots wide open for Ingles and for Crowder and whoever else may, 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 it may be? That's their primary adjustment defensively right now. I think everything else they kind of solved, they kind of solved tonight in the second half yeah. because Utah wasn't nearly as prolific in the second half slipping or spins getting their bigs involved as they were in the first half. I think primarily it's still a, a Mitchell game, and how do they deal with Donald Mitchell moving forward? Yeah, Luke said, you know, Mabamute said that it was uh, they just the Rockets ramped up their, the physicality, I think, knowing that those, those uh, slip screens were coming. Um, and so hopefully that is an adjustment that the Rockets can can uh, make to take away their, you know, to take away the, the change the Jazz made there. You know, and, and maybe you're right on Gerald Green. I, I freely admit I, I may be overreacting. I just feel like, you know, the, you, you love Gerald Green when he's hot, when he's pulling up and, and taking these shots with two defenders in his face. Uh, I mean, if he's making that shot, you're loving it. And, and he's the opposite of Ryan Anderson in that he is extremely yeah. aggressive in getting that shot off. So when you bring in a guy like Rhino and he's doing nothing for you, I can understand turning to Green. But I tell you what, when he misses that shot, they're going the other way. I, I just uh, I lose a little bit of confidence in the defense. And people say he should play over – some fans you know, should say he should be playing over Gordon. Gordon has been struggling really all playoffs. And it's a shame because he finished the regular season quite hot. Uh, but to me, I, I feel like even though his defense has had moments of a poor stri- play he's here, he's way more consistent defensively. Exactly, like he knows where to be, and and and, and he's got, uh, I think, a skill set that's, you know, you, you a guy like Eric Gordon, even if he's missing shots, I want him to keep shooting the ball. It's eventually going to drop. Uh, so we'll see. Game three Friday is going to be big. I think this is uh, one the Rockets really want to get. You don't want to go into game four on Sunday. Feeling like a three-one holes is is a possibility. You know, I know you're you're already smirking, thinking Dave's losing faith. It's it's not that. I feel like the Rockets can. I mean, they're two and zero in Utah this year. They've, uh, you know, they're, they're an absolutely outstanding road team. But uh, you know, the Jazz are well coached. They've got uh, some good shooters, and they've got Gobert. And um, you know, I, I, I'm starting to get to the point where I'm almost feeling like Ricky Rubio might be a, a benefit for the Rockets, where you at least force him to make those shots, even though he has ramped it up a, a little bit this year. You know, at least give your, your defense a, a chance to kind of Rajon Rondo him a little bit, sag off, force him to make those jumpers. Um, but that's going to be a big game. I think, you know, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the um, the Toronto-Cleveland series, and I, I feel like I can't give it a, a really uh, much of a laughter moment because I feel like they're, they're kind of linked right now. I mean, Toronto, you know, everyone kind of expected uh, them to kind of lose and, and uh, you know, to, or I should say, that's been the knock on them. They're going to fall to Cleveland. The Rockets are kind of that way as well. I mean, they've been talking about Chris Paul not getting out of the second round or the Rockets will choke, blah, 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 and here they are losing uh, game two tonight. I will say this. I think, and, and I, I had this, this kind of Twitter screed maybe a few weeks ago about me not understanding Rockets fans' um, 
reluctance here to believe in our team. This team won 65 games a season. They were number one seed. For most of the year, they had a historic offense in terms of efficiency. I think at some point you have to kind of take what you've seen and not panic in the moment and and, and understand yeah, I agree. this is a postseason. They're not going to win every game, by, as, as Mike Dunn keeps saying. We're not going to win every game by 40, and Utah's a damn good team. So yeah. I, I tend to not overreact to a poor performance or a loss, and I kind of tend to see the big picture. I still believe that the Rockets are the better team here. I still believe the Rockets are going to win a series in five or six games. Um, saying that, to your point about Toronto specifically, there is a, a part of this where it's you have to prove it. And Toronto, for all their success this season, has LeBron in their head. They have to prove it. And they don't get the benefit of the doubt, particularly when you blow a 14-point lead at home in game one and lose in overtime to a, a, in a game where LeBron didn't play, play particularly well. He was fine, and he got help elsewhere. If you're the Rockets and you've won 65 games, and James Harden has had a, a history of not always showing up in a postseason, and Chris Paul has not gotten out of the second round, and Mike D'Antoni has not gotten his team to the finals, all that success in a regular season needs to be validated at some point. The, the, the pragmatic side of me says they're going to do it, but I understand fan sentiment of, I haven't seen it yet, and I'm, I'm, I'm fretful. So, I get it. They need to do it, but I think they're going to do it. I think they lose in the next round, but at least I think they get to the next round. Sure. And I think everybody kind of needs to calm down. As, as Aaron Rodgers said, relax and let this thing kind of play out and not freak out about a poor shooting performance in game one. Again, a game that they led in the fourth quarter. You know, uh, I'm, there are a lot of fans talking about the officiating. I don't feel like the Rockets lost this game because of officiating. They, they missed a lot of shots. I don't think anybody wants to see Scott Foster or, or Tony <laughs> Brothers yeah. in a game simply just for because of history, but I don't think they lost because of officiating. But I did want to ask you specifically about one call, which I did think surprised me, had no real impact on the game, and that was the Gobert sort of slap slash hit slash karate chop on Harden. Which, you know, I watched the replay and I kind of played it out as, as a hard foul. They reviewed it, called it a common foul. When I saw it live in that first replay, to me, it looked like he was literally rearing back and, and swinging at Harden. I was surprised. I thought that was a flagrant foul. I, don't, I, I doubt they review it since they looked at it as a common foul. But what, what were your take on it? I know you don't have the sort of, uh, you know, fan bias that I might lean a little bit towards. Um, what was your feeling on that? I thought it was more than a common foul. And, and I, I'm going to combat something you said earlier here. I don't think Gobert's been that much of a factor in this series, to be honest with you. I think even with three blocks tonight, the Rockets have, have him frustrated a little bit in terms of making him move defensively, and he looks very unsure of himself a lot of times defensively, and I think it's kind of important in terms of how things are going to play out. It, it was more than a common foul. James seemed to shake it off and the Rockets kind of moved forward. I am curious to see if, if Gobert is galvanized at all about playing at home, because I think he's been very unsteady these first two games. And as the series drags on, Utah's going to need him to be more of an anchor defensively. I think he's been soft in moments in this series thus far. I don't think he's been very confident in terms of how he's handled himself. The block that Ariza had down here late in the second half that they called a foul, and it was a clean block. You and I both remarked that he was just standing flat-footed no. when the ball hit his hands instead of really kind of going up with some sort of authority at the rim. He's done a lot of little things right now that, that give me the idea that he's not really engaged fully in this series, and I'm curious to see how that changes. That's another thing that I'm looking forward to seeing on, on Game 3. I haven't even thought twice about the officiating in the series. I think at some point the Rockets will have a game where they shoot very, very well, and they're going to win that game. When they have another game where they shoot relatively well, can they play good defense as well and win that game too? I think if they do that, they'll be just fine. Well, Rockets won 65 games, uh, worked their tails off to get that home court advantage, lose it uh, tonight, becomes a five-game series with the Jazz holding home court. Uh, I still 
really love the Rockets' chances of winning the series. It's just going to be more of a dogfight than I think a lot of people expected. They saw Golden State wipe them out, wipe Pelicans out game one, Houston wipe out the Jazz in game one, and pretty much they already paired the two together in, in the Western Conference Finals. And it does still seem that that's where, the way we're headed, but uh, this is definitely a series now. Uh, MK, I appreciate you doing this with me, and we'll be back here for game five. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave.